Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, July 30th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike, preaching from Luke 11, 15, 11 through 24, a message titled, The Prodigal Family. The enemy is making a concerted effort in our day and time to basically dismantle the family as God has designed it. And if you're not aware of that, you just need to take a look around and listen, but society is making a, consider, a concerted effort to try to change the family and to, to reform it in their image, not God's image. And it's become obvious in this series um, that doing family is hard, and this is one reason why it's hard, is because the enemy is just pushing against it. And the world is pulling families. And we, in our own weakness, uh, give in to that so often. And we weaken. But through God's word and his grace, we can stand strong. And we can, in this generation, be families that shine bright as lights. And that's what God's calling us to do. So while we've seen that uh, family, uh, doing family is hard... This series and what we're going to really talk about today shows us also that doing family is heavenly. Family is God's idea. It was God's ideal to create such a thing as family, to bring children into it, and yes, to create this uh, job of parenting. Um, it's a heavenly calling, a heavenly work. Our earthly family is to be the source through which God comes and brings his truth to us and his love, and his grace. And our earthly family is, according to God's design, to lead us to his heavenly family. God has a forever family. And he wants redeemed people to spend eternity with him in heaven forever. And that's really the mission of the earthly family, is to point everyone to the, the heavenly family. Heaven will be a family experience. We'll live together with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever. It'll be heavenly. And we need to remember this as we are on our way from the hard times to the heavenly experiences. Especially if you are in a prodigal family. Now today we end this series where many families will end up and that is in a prodigal experience. The prodigal family is given to us in a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. I call it the prodigal family because when you have a prodigal, it affects everybody in the family. It affects the entire family, and we see that from the story here. It's a hard thing for a family to become fractured. But this story gives us hope. And I know this is a hard story to look at, and it's a hard reality to, 
bring to the forefront of our minds here this morning because some of you are dealing with this. Some of you have dealt with it. And this brings up all kinds of issues that are hard to think about. But there's hope in this story. Because of God's grace, a fractured family can go to being a forever family and being together all the time, for all of eternity by, by God's grace. And that's what we see happening with this family. So God can do it in your family and my family as we trust him, as we follow him, and we see him do his work. The setting of this story is the time when Jesus was on his way to the cross. He's just a few months away from the cross, and the Bible tells us that he went across the Jordan. In other words, he went across the tracks. He went over to where there were a lot of, of tax collectors and sinners. Verse 1 of Luke 15 shows us that. But Jesus intentionally went to where people were hurting in those days leading up to the cross. That's the kind of Savior that he is. He's got hurting people on his heart. And he wanted to spend those last weeks and days before he went to the cross and died for our sins among them, teaching, preaching, loving them. And he tells this story that so many of them, I'm sure, could relate to because they, no doubt, had come from broken families themselves. Here's the story the Lord told, verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the, his fields to feed swine, pigs, hogs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat. And be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. A fractured family went to be becoming a forever family. Their sorrow 
was turned into joy. And by God's grace and mercy, they went from being a defeated, destroyed family to being a victorious family. And God can do that in your family and my family today as well. There's hope in this story. And this hope should cause you to keep praying and keep trusting and keep believing that things can turn around and God can heal our homes. So as we look at this story, I want us to embrace this hope that we have from it. And I want you to see first several realizations that come from this story. And number one is that there are no perfect families. Prodigals arise in all kinds of families. This was a good family, but yet they had a prodigal. So prodigals appear in all kinds of families. Church-going families, pastors' families, loving and good families. There are no perfect families. If you came from a broken home, I know sometimes the temptation is that you look at others from afar and you know they had it different and you think, you know, things were perfect over there. I'm here to tell you, I was raised in a preacher's home who was raised in a preacher's home who was raised in a deacon's home. We had preachers and ministers everywhere we look in our family. And our family was far from perfect. There are no perfect families. And so all of us are in the same boat. And another realization from this, number two, is that even good parents that are doing everything right can have a prodigal. God did. Adam was God's prodigal. Cain was Adam's prodigal. Esau was Isaac's prodigal. Absalom was David's prodigal. And so on and so on, it continues today. Prodigals can arise in any family, even when they are good parents. And then the, the final realization I would point out to you before we go and we look at the fine details of the story is that we are all prodigals. Prodigals exist because sin exists. And the Bible says very clearly in Isaiah chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So being a prodigal is going astray. Having a good and loving Heavenly Father and then turning your back upon Him and leaving Him and going to the far country. The Bible says every one of us has done that. Now some of us have strayed farther and have stayed longer in the far country, but all of us are prodigals because there's sin that has led us astray. But God's mercy and grace has brought us back. And God's grace and mercy can reach any prodigal. That's, that's the hope that we have from this story. So with this hope in mind, I want us to look at the five stages of a prodigal here. And we'll go through this rather quickly. But the first start part of the story is the season of raising. And we see here that there was responsible parenting going on. And these were good people in this family. Verse 11 says that uh, a certain man had two sons. And this word had here 
means that he had two sons and they had him. This word had in the original means to cling to, to hold to, to hold dearly. And so in, in the original language, there's more than appears in the English. So here's a dad, as Jesus tells this story, who had two sons and they were dear on his heart. He was a good parent, a responsible parent. But they were two sons. They were different. And the story also shows us that he dealt with these two sons according to their own bent. These two sons were different. One was a rule breaker. The other was a rule bender. The difference is the rule breaker doesn't care who all knows what they're doing. The rule breaker does. I mean, the rule bender does. The rule bender wants to kind of finesse things so it all turns out to his favor, but they want to look good in the process. And that was the two sons. The younger son was the classic strong-willed child who wanted to go out and just take the world by storm and have an adventure in life and didn't care you know, what the fallout was. They just wanted to go and have a good time. That was the younger son. And the father dealt with him graciously according to his personality. But then he also dealt with his older son according to his personality. We learn about the older son in verse 25. The Bible says that after the younger son came back, the older son was in the field. He came and drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing. And verse 28 says that that made him angry. And he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. He answered and the son answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Four times in that verse, in one single verse, four times he, he, he talked about himself. He was a rule bender. It was really all about him. He kept the rules as much as he could and, and as much as it looked good. But then his heart really was far from God because and far from his family because it was really about himself. And when it didn't turn out to be good for him, then he was jumping ship. And so both sons had an issue. But, he, but there was responsible parenting. That's the point you need to understand. This father then dealt graciously with the second son and uh, pleaded with him, the Bible says, so word to the wise, none of your children will be the same. There are no two children that will be exactly the same. Even identical twins, and some of you don't know this about me, but I am an identical twin. Even identical twins have differences. And sometimes they are big differences. Sometimes they have so many differences that they end up rolling around on the floor, putting each other in a headlock. That may or may not have happened one of a few times in our home growing up. But there are always differences, and there are two sons here. They were different. You know why they're different? Because mom and dad are different. And those of you who are, who are parenting, you need to understand this. I'm just giving you this advice. Your kids will learn very quickly how to play you and play your differences. And they will pit you against one another. They know how to go to get something from mom, and they know how to go and get something from dad. And they know how to work it. So there's differences. And the sooner you get on the same page, the better it'll be for you going in the long run. I'm just giving you that personal advice. How do you get on the same page? It's not that you convince the other person that they're wrong. It's that you both 
get on God's page. You both find out what God says about the home and about parenting and about your own life and about your kids, and then you get on God's side. You don't get on his page. And that's how you parent and deal with the challenge that are your little kids. But this, this shows us this was a responsible parent. He was doing all the right things, and he provided sufficiently. We see that in verse 12, uh, the portion of goods that are mentioned, and the livelihood. The word livelihood means life. It's bios. It means there was a good living that he provided, and there was something there to pass on to his kids. He was a responsible parent. And beyond that, there was righteous principles that he was uh, instilling in his kids. As the, as the older son said what he did later in the story, he mentioned his father's commandments. He gave, him, uh, he gave them commandments to follow. And the father in verse 32 mentions what is right. He was trying to bring his children, his sons, to understand what was right. So even good parents can have a prodigal. Parents, don't blame yourself. And we all make mistakes. We all could have done things better. But in the larger scheme of things, prodigals are not caused by what the parents necessarily do. It's because of this world and sin and the sin that they're born with. Adam was born in a perfect world. And Eve was created in a perfect world. Adam wasn't born in a perfect He was created in a perfect world. She was made in a perfect world, but they both strayed. And so we can't blame ourselves. We've got to see it as the result of sin. But what about Proverbs 22, 6? It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What about that? Be a responsible parent is what it's saying, and then your kids will grow up, and they'll turn out right. Well, Proverbs is a set of principles, and principles have exceptions. They're not a list of promises. Promises do not have exceptions. They have certain fulfillments as they come from God. But these are principles, and they have exceptions. What this, what this proverb is teaching us is that uh, if you train your children right, teach and guide them in righteous living, you will instill in them principles that will stay with them all the way to the end. And if they'll listen to those principles, they will turn out right, and they'll stay right. But there's a little exception in there. We all have free will, and we can decide to stray, and many do. And there's another proverb that speaks to that, Proverbs 19:27. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. That's what happened with this boy. And that's what's happening with a lot of young adults, kids out in the world today. LifeWay did a survey recently, and they found that 66% of American young adults who attended church regularly as a teenager dropped out of church for at least a year between the ages of 18 to 22. 66%. Now, in our grandparents' generation, that number, I'm sure, was flipped. 66% stayed in church and stayed the course. And it was a minority that different. But today that's changed. We live in a different world. Today the majority of kids that go out, even if they've attended church and come from a good home, 
They're tempted to stray, and many of them are. We live in a time in which there's a world full of prodigals. And I want to say to some of you kids who are getting ready to go off, okay, here's where it gets personal, kids. Do not stray from what your parents have taught you. Do not stray from what God has taught you in this church. Don't be like the 66% that are out there, and I guarantee you, no matter what college you're going to, or school you're going to, even at a Christian school, you're going to be surrounded by kids like that. They're going, to, they're going to have freedom for the first time in their life. They're going to want to do their own thing. And getting up on Sunday morning is going to be the last thing they want to do once they get that freedom. And they say, oh, it won't hurt for a while. And then a while becomes six months, and then six months becomes a year, and then it's hard to get back in. So kids, don't sin against heaven, and don't sin against your parents who have done a good job raising you. But some kids do. And even though they have responsible parenting, they come to the point where they turn their back on that and they stray. That brings us to the, the second part of the prodigal experience. First there's a season of raising, then there's a season of releasing. Verses 12 and 13. The younger son didn't waste any time. Not many days after he gathered all things together, that means he brought all of his possessions together that he was given and he converted into spending cash. The next verse says he, he went and spent all. And so he converted into cash quickly so he could go and have a good time and he took off. Now the dad had a choice to make. The dad had a choice. He, he could have refused to give him anything. Dad was a, a responsible parent. He had been saving. He had been intending to give this inheritance. I think that's implied by the fact that in verse 12 it says that he divided to them. Notice, to both of them, not just to the prodigal son. He, he had it all planned out. It was building up. It was going to be the inheritance that fell to the kids when the father was no longer there. And the younger son says, I want mine early. I want it ahead of time. I'm not going to wait for you to pass away. I wish you were dead now, in, in so many words is what he's saying. I want to cut the strings now. I want to go off and make my own life. And the dad had a choice to make. It was a hard choice. Am I going to release my son, my child, to go down this road? And he made the hard choice that many parents have to make. They know by continuing to keep them there and argue and try to beat it into their head, it's not going to do any good. It does more harm. And so he releases that child so that they may return, so that God may do his work. And that's what he's doing here. The father gave the inheritance, and the son gathered all, and he left. And then there's the season of roaming. And this is the hardest for the prodigal family. When they are in the far country and they're far away and you're not talking and you don't know what's going on and you don't know how they're doing. Verses 13 and 19 shows us a great word of hope. And that is that God was in the, in the story. He was behind the scenes. He was doing things so that the prodigal would be turned around. 
And God was allowing certain consequences and circumstances to arise to get the prodigal's attention. Parent, even though you don't know what's going on, you must keep believing and know that God knows what's going on and He is there and He is able to do much more than you and I can do. And we see the unseen hand of God here moving in this story. That as the, the roaming season unfolds, there's this journey to the far country and everything seems so bright and adventurous and full at first, but then there's a severe famine that uh, comes into the land. Where'd that come from? That came from the hand of a gracious God. To come to that land at that moment where the prodigal had gone, it was God's gracious hand to turn this prodigal back home. And in verse 14 when it says that he began to be in want, that means he began for the first time to begin to see his mistake. He began to see that what he had done and the road that he was on was ending up not adventurous and bright and full, but it was ending up empty and difficult. And this word for want actually is the word for last. He began to see that the path that he was on would cause him to end up not first in life, but last. It was God getting his attention, trying to turn him around. So this journey to the far country led to an experience of fields of empty that led then, by God's grace, to the road of repentance. And in verse 17 where it says that he came to himself, that means that he, be, he saw himself for the first time for who he was. He saw himself as a prodigal. The word prodigal means wasteful. He was someone who had taken, taken something precious in his life, turned his back on God, his family, and everything that was good, and he had wasted it. And God finally got his attention. And God noticed his parents. God did this when he was as far away from the family as he could be in the far country. It's hard to trust your kids in the far country with the Lord and with anybody else. The Lord is the only one that can turn things around and change things. And until we see ourselves for who we are, we cannot repent. We cannot be saved. Until the apostle Paul, who was Saul on the road to Damascus, saw himself for who he was, he did not turn around. But when God shone the light, then he turned, he repented. And he was saved. And that's what God does on the, on the road to, for, to, to repentance for the prodigal. He works in his life, in her life, in such a way to bring them to a point where they see themselves for who they really are. The Lord is there, close to them, working on their heart, turning them back around. I want you to notice that before... The Lord got to this story about the lost son. He told two other stories. He told a story about a lost sheep, and then he told a story about a lost silver coin. And all of this was to show his heart for the lost. And in the story for the, for the lost sheep, in verse 4, it shows us how he's there with the prodigal in the far country. 
The Lord says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Why did they repent? Because the Lord was there working on their hearts, turning them back to himself. Why does heaven rejoice? Because the Lord was there. And heaven knows because the Lord knows what happens. And they're in the far country. They're on the mountains where they've strayed. But the Bible says that that's where the Lord goes. He leaves the 90 and 90 and goes after the one. And when the Lord told this story in Matthew's gospel, he closed it with this line. He said, even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Mom and Dad, we hang on to that truth, that reality about our Lord. He is much more loving. He loves our kids more than we do. And He's there, not willing that they would perish. And He's there watching them night and day. And He's doing what has to be done to turn them back and to bring them back home. That is our hope. That is why we keep praying. That's why we keep trusting. That's why we keep believing. And the Lord, who goes after this lost son, this lost child, is able to save them because the Heavenly Father, the Heavenly Father sent His Son to the far country on behalf of this prodigal. Now what dad, what parent would intentionally send their child to the far country to suffer and to be separated. None of us would want to do that for our child. None of us would choose that for our child, but the Heavenly Father chose to send His Son to the cross, to die in agony and shame, to go to somewhere He's never been before, to go to a, a place of darkness and separation from the Father. How that happened, I cannot wrap my brain around it. That the Father and the Son, who are co-equal and co-eternal, had always been in oneness forever, for all of eternity. They were separate for a time. They were separated because sin was laid upon the Son voluntarily. And He received it. And he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father turned away. And the darkness filled the earth because the Father was separate from His Son. It was the Son becoming the prodigal so that He could bring all the prodigals back home. What a gracious God that we have. How we can trust Him with our children who are in danger and who are far away. All this happens and all this becomes real to us during the season of roaming. It's the hardest, but in many ways it's the most glorious. It's when God intervenes and heaven comes down and things begin to change. And that gives way to a time of returning. Verses 20 and 22. The son arose, came to his father, but notice this, while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Why was the father 
looking for him is because he loved him. He had compassion on him. And out of his love, notice, he ran. This older man was kicking up trail dust, going out to meet his son. Because what he had prayed for, what he had hoped for, what he had believed for for years, now he was seeing with his own eyes and he couldn't hold back and he ran. He probably spent the next week in bed because he pulled something, but he ran. He didn't care. It was time of returning. He fell on his neck, kissed him. And notice the son said to him, Father, I'm not expecting anything. I've given it all up. I've yielded. I've I've repented. I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't claim any right to come back in the house and to have anything to his name. He said, I'm giving it all up. That's true repentance. But notice what the father did. Not only do we see the father's look, the father's love, but the father's liberality. The father said to the son, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals it on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. You see what he's doing? He's returning the heritage to him with a bonus. That's God's abundant grace. Paul says it abounds even more through Christ. That we have more through Christ than what we lost through the fall. And this is what we see in this story. As the son came back, and he said, I have no right to have anything. The father just pours out upon him everything that he doesn't deserve. That's grace. And that's the kind of grace that God pours out upon a prodigal. As they heed the call and they return. And this gives way to the celebration of rejoicing that ended with a party verses 23 through 24 as they began to, to make merry and prepare for the celebration the father proclaimed his praise he said for this my son was dead and is alive again he, he was lost and he's found his, his pain turned into a praise report his prodigal turned into a praise report that's what God does and they began to be merry and I think that means that they began to have a party and it went on for a long time. And the party of praise that was in the Father's heart, I think, never ended. He never ceased to praise the Lord for bringing his son back. Every time he looked at his son, every time he got up in the morning and knew he was home, he never ceased to praise the Lord for what he had done. That's the kind of God we have. He brings us to the party, and that party never ends. He makes us a forever family. And there is joy forevermore. Psalm 147, verse 11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. I want to close with a more modern-day prodigal son story. It's a true story. And it involves an itinerant preacher who was traveling a generation or so ago by train to different towns. He would go to one town and preach, get back on the train, head to another town. This is how he ministered for the Lord. His name was G.W. Ravensbury. 
And on one occasion, as he was on a train going to the next town to preach, he noticed a young man who was fidgeting in the train. He had a, uh, an old cardboard suitcase crammed underneath his seat. And uh, every once in a while, the young man would get up from his seat, pace the aisleway, come back and sit down. He was anxious. He was nervous. Things weren't right. The preacher noticed that, and he finally decided to get up and sit down beside the young man and talk to him. He introduced himself. He said, son, my name's Ray Ravensbury, and I'm a preacher. You seem like you've got a lot on your mind. Would you like to talk? Ravensbury said it was like opening up a spigot. The young man's life story just poured out. He said, me and my pa didn't get along very well when I was coming up. We'd fuss and fight. We'd get into it over nothing. He said, one day after we were getting into it real hard, he said, I can't even remember about what. When I said something like, well, why don't I just leave? And my daddy said, son, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the backside on the way out. He said, I didn't really want to go, but I was so angry that I went to my room and packed everything I could fit into my cardboard suitcase. And as I went to leave, my daddy yelled back at me and said, Son, if you walk out that door, don't you ever come back. I was so mad, I just left. Things didn't go too well for me after that. I kept wandering from one town to another, working one job after another. I wasn't doing too well. One night I was out drinking with some buddies. We got this idea to rob a liquor store. We got called and I got sentenced to prison. I lost everything. He said, I spent my time in prison, but before I got out, I decided to write home to mom and dad. I told them I was in prison about to get out. I said I was sorry for how I'd left and for what I did. That I'd understand if they never wanted to see me again but I'd be passing through their town soon. He looked at the preacher and said, You see, my house is just around the corner, coming up in a few miles. And I told my parents that if they wanted to see me, to tie something white out in the tree. That if there wasn't anything white, I'd just go on to the next town and they'd never see me again. Mr. Ravensbury, the son said, if there's nothing white hanging out in that tree, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm at the end of my rope. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Ravensbury said that as they drew closer, the young man became even more nervous. Finally, the young man asked the preacher, he said, my house is right up around the bend. Do you think you could look for me and see if you see anything white? Tied there for me. Ravensbury said he pressed his forehead up against the window, hoping to see something, anything that was white tied in the tree. He said as they turned that corner, it was the most majestic sight he had ever seen. He said apparently the family had emptied the house of everything white that they had. He said it was all out there, flapping in the trees. It was just a 
sea of white out there in that yard. And he's saying, look, son, look. The young man caught a glimpse of the tree. He grabbed his suitcase, rushed out the door, leaped off the train as quick as he could, and the preacher said the last image he saw of that young man was him running up the hill to his house with an older couple bursting out of the doors to greet him. The prodigal had come home because of God's gracious work. God's still working today. Some of you are here were prodigals. God's done the work in your life. Some of you that are here will become prodigals. There's going to be a moment in your life in the future when you stray. If you're a sinner, you're going to stray. You remember, there's always an open road back to the Lord. Never forget that. But for those of you who are parents of a prodigal this morning, you need to continue to believe that we have a God in heaven that can repeat this story. He is. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.